Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 211 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. Our flagship service is our HR Harbour membership service that we offer for employers who are looking for external HR support. Maybe you don't have anybody internally, or maybe the function is getting too much for one person and you need a bit of support or you just want to ensure that your documentation is compliant with the law and you're up to date with what's happening without having to pay huge fees. You can pay on a monthly basis as part of our membership and in August we are doing a special offer in relation to pricing. We are keeping our pricing the same for August but from the 1st of September things are changing. So if you'd like to take advantage of a 12-month contract with fixed lower pricing at this time, then do not hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. I'd be happy to have a chat with you and to provide you with full details of the HR Harbour membership. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about a very interesting case. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So a case came across my desk recently, which I thought was fairly interesting for a couple of reasons, and I thought that I would cover it in the podcast. It's an employment appeal tribunal case, and it is Miss Claire Jackson versus the University Hospitals of North Midlands NHS Trust. Now, the reason why it first caught my eye was because it is a case involving changes to terms and conditions and the impact that can have. And quite often we're asked questions by both employers and employees about making fundamental changes to terms and conditions. And I know that recently lots of businesses are making changes, uh, looking at the ways of working and potentially looking to change employees' contract terms. So it covers off some of the key points there. The second reason is because this is a case involving the NHS and it is a classic case where the NHS seek to change terms for somebody unilaterally and seek to take away their rights basically. And so it's something that I've come across in situations not just where there's been restructures but where people have been off sick or are going through capability processes they unilaterally change their position within the organization and present it to the individual as though they have no choice and that's kind of what happened here to um, Miss Jackson. So in this case Miss Jackson was employed as a band six nurse And the NHS Trust decided that they wanted to restructure their research and development directorate in which Miss Jackson was employed. Um, It would result in savings for the department and would involve a restructure. So in essence, the grade six posts would become senior research practitioners and there would be fewer of them. So fewer people in the band six posts, which is a redundancy situation. So they were reducing the number of band six posts 
available and existing staff were invited to apply for those and if they weren't successful they would be then slotted into new band five posts which were research practitioners. So it was a demotion. If you were unsuccessful for the few band six posts you would be demoted, you would have uh, less pay although there would be a term of two years in which pay was agreed to be preserved. In Miss Jackson's case she was unsuccessful for the band six role and was told by the employer that she would be slotted into one of the band five roles with effect from the 3rd of December 2018 and there were completely new terms and conditions for that role. Now Miss Jackson had no choice in this and the new role was imposed on her. In the judgment from the Employment Appeal Tribunal, it does go on to say that the decision makers in relation to this situation with Miss Jackson had not appreciated that band six nurses who were demoted would be or should be considered as redundant, given that there was a requirement for them to carry out specialist research work in their previous role, which had diminished. So it did meet the genuine redundancy situation criteria. But those people who were involved in the decision making, who weren't HR specialists or professionals, had not appreciated that it was a redundancy decision. But what was interesting about this judgment is that they were advised by the HR department. And having heard evidence from those involved in the process, the Employment Tribunal at first instance found that the erroneous approach of the HR department was not simply mistaken. It was deliberate, meaning that the claimant, Miss Jackson, had actually been misled. She hadn't been offered a trial period in that new role and despite representations she made that it was a redundancy situation, the trust continued to assert that it wasn't. And the reason why I highlight this in particular is because, as I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, I've come across situations where for whatever reason, HR departments in NHS trusts seem to take this view and run roughshod over employees' rights. They don't take into consideration the fact that it is a redundancy situation. They don't take into consideration the fact that they can't just merely move someone from one band to another because that's more satisfactory for them, the easiest option. As I said, I'm not necessarily saying this is all NHS trust, it's just in my experience. I've had previous clients who have been having difficulties within their own department and have just been unilaterally moved. So without any consultation, without their agreement, they've basically been told you have to move roles and you have no choice, otherwise you are going to be making yourself unemployed essentially and so this is not really a surprise in relation to what's happened in this situation. In any event in relation to Miss Jackson's claims for unfair dismissal and redundancy pay the employment tribunal at first instance decided that yes there had been a dismissal and that she was entitled to redundancy pay. So the Employment Tribunal had found in her favour that it was a redundancy and that she should have received her statutory redundancy pay. Now the reason why the case came to the Employment Appeal Tribunal is because under the terms that were set for nurses, 
It states that in the event of dismissal of relevant NHS employees by reason of redundancy, their redundancy pay would not follow the statutory formula, but instead be calculated on the basis of one month's pay for each complete year of service. So in Miss Jackson's case, this would have given her a figure of approximately £36,000. Now, in order to qualify for that redundancy payment, employees must be in employment at the expiry of their notice. So what that meant was if Miss Jackson were to qualify for the enhanced redundancy payment, she would need to still be an employee when notice is expired. And this is where the case came to the Employment Appeal Tribunal because the Employment Tribunal decided that at the point in which her notice had expired, she was no longer in employment. Now, the reason the Employment Tribunal decided that was because of the timing of the notice in relation to her role changing. And the Employment Tribunal had found that the letter that she'd received in November 2018, which confirmed that she'd been unsuccessful for the Band 6 post and instead had been slotted into the Band 5 post, was not a letter of dismissal. And therefore, at the timing in which she eventually left her employment with the trust, she would not have qualified for the enhanced redundancy payment. Now, what actually happened in relation to the events for Miss Jackson was that after she had been given the letter to tell her that her role would be changing to that of a band five, she had remained an employee. She didn't resign at that point and instead had submitted three grievances. And then eventually, on the 28th of December 2018, after her grievance had been rejected, she then resigned. Whilst she was working out her notice, she then appealed against the outcome of the grievance decision. And then on the 18th of January 2019, the employer informed her that her grievance appeal had actually been upheld. And the person hearing her appeal decided that She had, after all, been made redundant from her band six role and the band five role into which she was slotted was not a suitable alternative. And it was decided that if she withdrew her resignation, so the resignation she'd given back in December after receiving her grievance outcome, then she would be served with eight weeks notice of the termination of her employment by reason of redundancy. And in the meantime, she would be able to consider any alternative roles. So the outcome of the grievance appeal was to eventually say yes this is a redundancy situation and therefore we'll give you eight weeks notice and you'll be entitled to redundancy pay. However this wasn't really the end of things so on the 21st of January Miss Jackson withdrew her resignation in response to the outcome of the grievance appeal and she was however unhappy about the fact that she was being served another eight weeks notice from January she actually argued that her eight weeks notice from the the trust should have run from December and therefore there was an argument about when her notice should actually end and when her employment would legitimately end for the purposes of receiving the enhanced redundancy payment. Because of this disagreement about notice eventually Miss Jackson's employment ended and the NHS trust told her that because she'd left before the expiry of her notice as far as they were concerned she had forfeited her entitlement to redundancy pay 
and therefore they didn't pay her anything. They didn't pay her statutory or contractual. So after all of that time, all of those arguments about whether it was redundancy or not, it came down to whether notice had been served when her employment ended and ultimately she wasn't given any payment at all. Hence why she pursued the claim in the Employment Tribunal in relation to unfair dismissal, redundancy pay, notice pay, etc., Now, as I was saying earlier, the Employment Tribunal at first instance concluded that there had been an unfair dismissal and that she was entitled to statutory redundancy pay. And she was awarded statutory redundancy pay and compensation for unfair dismissal. And in doing so, there was no specific judgment given on the date of the termination of her employment. However, for the purposes of calculating compensation, the Employment Tribunal had concluded that her resignation had ended her employment on the 25th of January 2019. And so it was fairly critical in relation to the application of the enhanced redundancy payment. And what they said in the judgment was that she was given notice on the 25th of January to expire on the 22nd of March 2019. She resigned on the 25th of January prior to the expiry of her notice and therefore is not entitled to a contractual redundancy payment. Now at appeal, this is where it becomes interesting in relation to the application of changes to terms and conditions by employers. And the Employment Appeal Tribunal analysed the case of Hogg versus Dover College, which is a leading case in relation to changes to terms and conditions. In essence, the outcome of that case set out the circumstances in which can arise when an employer makes changes. Now, when employers wish to make changes to terms and conditions, they have a couple of options available to them in which to do so. One of which is the classic give notice and offer to rehire somebody on the new terms. And when you do that as an employer, effectively you are ending one contract and offering to employ them on a new contract. So it's fairly clean and obvious when that um, contract ends. But there are other ways in which employers often seek to make those changes to terms and conditions. And those are to implement them unilaterally as they did in this case for Miss Jackson. When an employer makes a change unilaterally, so they enforce that change uh, without agreement with the individual, the employees have the options of resigning and claiming constructive dismissal. Um, They could say that they have been a repudiatory breach of the contract and if they have enough qualifying service so they've employed for two years or more, they can bring that claim. The second is to waive any breach and affirm the contract and agree to work under the new terms which is often what happens with very minor term changes or term changes where people would rather accept them than put themselves out of work. The third option is obviously depending on the nature of the change the employee could refuse to work under the new terms and that would then put the employer in a position where they would have to decide whether to dismiss them for failure to comply with the terms or not. The fourth option is to what we call stand and sue so that's where they work under protest but bring a claim for breach of contract or, you know, unlawful deductions for wages, for example, if there has been a reduction in pay. And then the fifth option is to work under the new contract, but assert that they've been dismissed from the old contract, and that in itself can form a complaint of unfair dismissal. And it's this final option that employees have that causes difficulty, and which has arisen in both that Hogg case versus Dover College and also which was analysed in this case for Miss Jackson. So it's whether there has been a break 
in the contract. So what the employer has done is that sufficient to end one contract and start another contract. And that's effectively the argument that Miss Jackson was making at the appeal tribunal, is that in changing her terms and conditions from band six to band five, there hadn't been continuous employment, there had actually been a dismissal at that point. And that was critical in relation to whether or not she qualified for this enhanced payment. So the question for the employment tribunals and the appeal tribunal in this case to decide is whether the particular contract under which the employee was employed at the relevant time was terminated by the change. In a high court case more recently, which is called Smith versus Trafford Housing Trust from 2013. The employee who was a manager, Mr. Smith, was disciplined by his employer for public posts on social media. It was actually one of the first highly publicised cases about the use of social media and disciplinary action. And as a result of the disciplinary, he was demoted and had a 40% pay cut and a loss of managerial responsibilities. Mr. Smith, in this case, actually remained at work, but made a claim for breach of contract. And this claim was heard by the High Court, which upheld his claim on the basis that his social media posts did not constitute misconduct. But what they had to decide was whether the fact that he had remained at work, he had actually been wrongfully dismissed from his former role or not. So because he remained employed, the employer was arguing that there hadn't been any dismissal here. But the High Court held that Mr Smith had actually been dismissed, a matter conclusively determined by the legally indistinguishable decision in the Hogg case. So they decided by the fundamental change to his terms that his employment had ended and he had effectively been employed under a new contract thereafter, so was able to claim wrongful dismissal. In Miss Jackson's case, what the Employment Appeal Tribunal said was that the only issue in this appeal is whether the Employment Tribunal had made an error in concluding that the claimant was not subjected to a hog dismissal on the 3rd of December when the new Band 5 contract was imposed on her. And this matters because if there had been a hog dismissal on that date, it must follow that she was still an employee when her notice expired and consequently the provisions of the enhanced redundancy payment would have applied to her. And the Employment Appeal Tribunal decided in Miss Jackson's favour here. In their view, the particular contract under which she was employed had been ended when the terms changed from that of a band five to a band six. And therefore, in their view, it was a matter that should be reconsidered by the Employment Tribunal to determine whether or not there had been a variation to her contract. And the reason why the Employment Appeal Tribunal didn't go so far as to conclude that she was entitled to that enhanced redundancy payment was because they thought that actually this was a case that needed to be analysed on the facts and evidence. And therefore it was sent back to another employment tribunal to do a proper before and after comparison of the band six post and the band five post to ascertain whether the new terms were of sufficient difference to amount of a withdrawal of one contract and its replacement by another. And so the case hasn't yet been totally concluded, but has now been sent back to the employment tribunal for a reconsideration. So what this case tells us and what is interesting about this case and also the Hogg versus Dover College case and the Smith case is that 
Even though employment is continuing and seemingly continuing throughout, there can be a dismissal for the purposes of potentially a redundancy payment or an unfair dismissal or wrongful dismissal claim if one contract has ended and been replaced by another, even though the employer hasn't given notice and the employer hasn't given any intention in writing or verbally that they are ending one contract and starting another, it could be found by the employment tribunal that there was sufficient variation in those terms to end one contract and start another. So what does this mean for employers? Well, what it means is if you are going to be making changes to employees' terms and conditions and you're intending not to give notice to end the employment and start a new new contract, but rather impose those changes, there is still that risk that an employee could seek to say that there was a dismissal and it could be fairly costly if you get it wrong. When you're making changes to terms and conditions, it's really important to consult with the individuals to consider what the business reasons are for your changes and whether there is a way in which it can be agreed so as to avoid this kind of risk. It was slightly unique in this case because As I was saying, it seemed as though the employer was seeking to avoid any redundancy payment altogether, which is something that happens in the NHS quite a lot, I have to say. But ordinarily, in the scenario that Miss Jackson was in, um, you would accept that there were a redundancy situation and pay redundancy accordingly. I'll put a link to all of the cases in the show notes so you can have a look at them. And if you have any questions about anything that's arisen in this podcast, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. What I would emphasise before I finish is that if you are seeking to make changes to terms and conditions, it is important to get advice as it could be fairly costly for you in the long run and cause significant disruption with the workforce if you get it wrong. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I'll be back again in two weeks time with the next podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, any topics you'd like covered, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.